All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you who are new, uh, if you are new, this is maybe, I don't know, first or under a month since you've been at Cornerstone, please make sure that you do talk to somebody with an orange apron, one of the welcoming volunteers. You can come up, say, say hi to me or to one of the pastors. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. And um, one thing that I wanted to do before I quickly pray and just jump straight into the sermon. So we've been here at the cinema for a few weeks now. And since March 2020, when everything shut down, we've been strictly online. And so it took us a long time to get into person. And in that time, of course, the world changed and so, much, so many of our lives just kind of transformed and blew up. And, and then all of a sudden, we had to do this mad dash rush back into uh, having a space and being able to worship in person in the same room together. And that really wouldn't be possible if we didn't have really amazing women and men who volunteer who come here really early, who signed up with very short notice and pour a lot of their hearts into making this possible, whether it be the production team, all these lights and cameras so people, are, those of you at home are watching right now, the welcoming ministry, uh, soon to be children's and worship. So if we could just, just do an appreciative applause just for all the people who've been volunteering. Uh, thank you so much. We depend on all of you to be able to do this, and being able to worship in person is much more meaningful than we ever realized, especially when it got taken away, we realized how important it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all you volunteers. And there's a bunch of you who are at home or, uh, yeah, not serving this morning too. So thank you to you guys as well. So let me pray really quickly, and we'll jump into this morning's message. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. It is the food for our souls. Um, we are starving without it, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, make our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts ready to receive, and that your word for us would be as sweet as honey, Lord, to us. And so we delight in you and in everything that you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I was listening to uh, an episode of This American Life. Any This American Life listeners? Wow. Okay. <laughs> that was not the reaction I was hoping for. Listen to This American Life. It's like one of the most popular podcast. Anyway, the opening story was about a man who had a debilitating fear of spiders. How about this? Anybody else afraid of spiders? If you're afraid, I'm going to test your fear today. Look inside your cup holder. I'm just kidding. I didn't put anything there, but this guy had a debilitating fear of spiders. And so he did some real, it wasn't, it's, okay, everyone's afraid of spiders, kind of, but it was next level, like debilitating fear. So, for example, he never approached right angles because that's usually where spiders, you know, spin their webs. Anytime he went into a room, he would have to call timeout on even in work business meetings and scour every corner under the furniture. He never went to sleep at night without undoing all of his sheets, his pillowcases, his duvet cover, lifting up his mattress. And this was the craziest thing. He once found a spider in his car, and maybe the extreme thing would be like hiring detailers to like vacuum it. No, he sold it. He sold his car away because he found an, one spider and he didn't want it anymore. And listening to this guy's interview, he seemed like such a normal person actually. He was, he didn't seem so irrational. He talked about it. He's like, I know that it's crazy. I know they can't hurt me. I know I could flick it away and it would be no big deal. But his anxiety would just spike. And every time he saw a spider, he would just be overtaken by it. He wouldn't even watch Spider-Man, which doesn't even really have much to do with spiders, because his heart rate would skyrocket. It would, like, beating out of his chest. He would just be so afraid. 
And it got me to thinking how fear is such a strange and powerful like, force in our lives. And so then I continued to think, like, what alleviates fear? What's the solution or the antidote to our fear? When I was a kid, one of the things that I was most afraid of was being alone in dark places. So I grew up here in Massachusetts, and many of you grew up elsewhere where your home was not built in the 1800s, and you have like attics or uh, basements or cellars. We have cellars where it's, it's not finished. It's like dark and like bone and dirty. You know, that's where our laundry machines are. And every time my mom asked me to go grab something from the basement, I would just run down, grab it, and run up really quickly, afraid that someone was going to get me in the basement. And when I think about my fear, what changed, or at least was the solution for me, was presence, was somebody else being there with me. So my basement could, if I'm alone, be the scariest place in the world to me as a little boy, but just add my mom, and all of a sudden it's a pleasant room where we would have bonding moments doing laundry together. Another place I was so afraid of as a kid was my church. Anybody grow up at church with like creaky floors and like you didn't want to be the one to turn the lights off, but you had to prove to your youth group friends that you were brave enough? If you're in that situation, I hate church. It's so scary. Add some people. It's like a prayer meeting all of a sudden. You want the lights to be off because then you're more in tune with the spirit. Think about being left in the woods all by yourself. How horrifying that would be at nighttime. Add a friend. We call that camping. You pay people to sit in the scary place because it's not scary anymore. The presence of people just seems to change so much. And so fear is a very powerful influence in our lives, but what alleviates that for a lot of us is just the presence of other people or the presence of something else. And this morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our fear and how God's presence can completely transform that. And this isn't just the presence of a family, me- friend or a family member or a friend that we're going camping with. This is God himself with all of his power and his glory. And so this morning's scripture text comes from John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And we still don't have this, but I'm kind of glad that we don't have this. We're going to go back to old school. And you know what wouldn't have failed us is transparency machines. <laughs> so like everyone hates on old school stuff, but we wouldn't have this problem if that, we were using that, right? So what you can do is let's take out our phones. Open up your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, just go to Google. And we're going to go to John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. So I'll give you a second to pull that up. John 6, 16 through 21. So John is uh, one of the Gospels, one of the first books in the New Testament. And we're going to read chapter 6. So it's my joy and pleasure to read God's good word for us all this morning. So hear God's word for you, Cornerstone. John chapter 6, starting verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not joined them yet. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this text that we just read of Jesus walking on the water is one of seven major miracles that we see in the Gospel of John. And so Pastor Linda actually three, I forget how many weeks ago, preached on the first one, which was when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And then we have other miracles. And a bunch of, most of them actually involve healings. 
So one of the miracles, Jesus uh, heals an official son who is about to die. Another one, Jesus heals the invalid, the old man who for years and years has been sitting at a pool, but he couldn't get into it to get healed, so other people would beat him to it. And Jesus healed that man. Another one is that Jesus heals a blind man. He gives him sight. So a guy who was blind all of his life can now see. The other two miracles, popular ones, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and fish. And then the big, big one, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus being Martha and Mary's brother. And the seventh is what we just read today, Jesus walking on water. And so if we were to kind of do this large scope of the seven miracles in John, the one that I just read of Jesus walking on water, it, it stands out. It doesn't seem to fit. It almost clashes with John's narrative, at least when we just look at him in the bubble of his miracles that he records. It's an oddball. It doesn't fit because when we read the story, we wonder, what good did this do? Right? The other miracles, the ones that I just listed off, they have an instant, tangible joy. There's a blessing that's crystal clear. Can you imagine? So, so John records Martha and Mary and the whole process of losing their brother and their brokenness, their weeping. But he doesn't talk about how they were after. But think about how tangible and great a blessing it was that now they had their brother back. How happy, how much rejoicing there must have been the day, the week, the month, the year after. I picture Martha, Mary, and Lazarus eating meals together and the two sisters being like, man, we thought you were gone. And how happy they must have been for every meal they shared together after that moment. Or the blind man. To think about not being able to see anything for the rest of his life, he wakes up. He would start in the morning waking and being able to see colors in the faces of his friends and his family of being able to walk around without assistance. How clear is that blessing? How awesome of a, of a tangible joy did Jesus give in these miracles really clearly? They're clear, but this one not so much. If anything, it seems like the other miracles led to celebration, but this one led to fear. So in verse 19, you can go back there if you want to. You don't have to. I can read it for you. He says, or John writes, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. So there's the miracle. He walks on the water, and here's the reaction. And they were frightened, John writes. Miracle? Frightened. There's no joy, no, yay, thank you for this awesome thing you did for us, Jesus. It doesn't lead them to happiness or jumping for joy. He, if anything, he creeps them out. They're frightened. So what's the point? Why do this out of seven miracles? What good was this? Why walk on water? So to get to the bottom of this, we need to understand the culture in Jesus' time. So that the people, the original listeners, the Israelites and disciples, the sea, the waters, was the greatest source of fear to them. We need to remember, they didn't understand what we do about the ocean or of the sea. There were no deep sea divers or documentaries of David Attenborough explaining to us, you know, what was under there and cameras. Kids didn't go to the aquarium to learn about aquatic life on field trips in elementary school. There was very little known about it. But the funny thing is, even though we know a ton about it, we get scared too. I remember the first time, or maybe first or second time, Unji and I went snorkeling. It was in Hawaii. And you know how you can't talk to each other while you're snorkeling? You just grunt, like, mm, 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 and you, like, point. So I saw a turtle. 
it was awesome. Like, you know, Finding Nemo, sea turtle. He's like chewing on the coral. And I got Unji's attention. I was like, mm, mm, turtle. And she turned around and got so scared, she flippered me in the face and swam away. I'm like, this is cute, and you're afraid of it. We're afraid of it. Think about a pond that's really dark, and you can't see the bottom. How many of you hate walking in that? You just think about what's under there, what your foot is going to touch. It's creepy to you. But we know so much about water, and we're still afraid. Now think about the Israelites. They knew very little about the water, but more so, this specific group of disciples, they were fishermen by trade. So if anybody had a healthy fear of what could happen to you while you were out at sea, it was them. They knew very intimately how dangerous the sea was and that you shouldn't mess with it. Think about the types of vessels and technology they had back then. And when you think about fishermen, how many times do you think that they said bye to a friend or a loved one who went out to sea and who never came back? That was it. And there's only one conclusion as to what happened to them out there. So not only was the sea dangerous physically, but even more so spiritually, mystically, to the ancient Near Eastern people, it represented chaos, disorder, evil. Some commentators say that when they thought of the sea, that stood for untamable evil forces to them. They believed that evil creatures lived in its depths. People wrote poems and tall tales and mythological stories all based around the darkness of the sea because it had the power to swallow up anything with ease. It was destructive and devastating. Nothing could match it. You shouldn't mess with its darkness. And nobody could stand up against it. Until, until a lowly carpenter who claimed that he was the son of God casually walks on it. Jesus approaches them on what was the source of their greatest fear, just walking. Some people say this miracle represents something that Jesus is showing that humans can't do. My rebuttal, why didn't he just fly then? You just, you know, Jesus. Why didn't he just go invisible? He could have shot lightning out of his eyes, the sleight of hand magic, like, He could have done anything. Why did he walk on water? It's not just because he's showing something humans can't do. Yes, that is part of the miracle, but it's very intentional of why a storm is happening. John says it's dark. The disciples are struggling. The sea is the source of their greatest fear, and he walks on it triumphantly. He humbles the source of their greatest fear. He diminishes the winds and the waves into a mere puddle. and just walks on it. How awesome that moment must have been when the disciples were afraid for their lives. I'm sure they were convinced they were going to die. They're probably freezing cold if it's windy and waves. I imagine, I mean, it doesn't say. I, I think it's a safe guess to say that they were probably drenched in water. They're probably exhausted. John writes, three or four miles they tried to fight against the current. That sounds exhausting to me. And panic, adrenaline coursing through their veins. And Jesus approaches them, and his simple words are, it is I, don't be afraid. So this English translation, it is I, it comes from the Greek text, two words, ego, eimi. There's another way you can translate that. 
I am. If you were here a few weeks ago, you understand how significant those two words are in all scripture. Pastor Bill preached his, his message completely around two words, I am. Jesus is telling them, I'm God. Do you see what I just did? What you claim to be the most powerful thing in all the earth that chills you to your bone, that is so destructive and powerful, it's nothing to me. I am. Don't be afraid. So in this miracle, Jesus definitively proves his divinity. He displays he's Lord of all. So what good is this miracle? Why did he choose to walk on water instead of flying or something like that? See, this miracle, we already went over this. It didn't heal anybody or give sight to a blind person or fill a hungry stomach. This miracle, it satisfies a deep spiritual need. That's why he does it. It calms our anxieties. It fixes our assurance in the living, powerful God who silences storms, who walks on what most people or what people are most afraid of. It tells his disciples, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You are mine. I am yours. So for us today, 2,000 years later, the question that I have for all of us is what is our greatest fear? Sons and daughters, that's all of us, which is such an awesome title to say, by the way, that we can actually call ourselves that. What is keeping you from living the most abundant life that God has for you? What fear is blocking that? What anxiety, what keeps you up at night and gnaws at you and tells you that you're not all together or you're not going to make it or you're not good enough or you shouldn't do fill in the blank? What fear is just at you over and over and over again? For a lot of us in this demographic, at least in Boston and, and specifically Cornerstone, it's, it's our future. We're, such, we're on the move people here, future people, job, school, career. Uh, is everything that I'm putting all this energy to matter in the end? What is it going to be? Am I going to end up in the right place? Is, am I going to be able to pay off my loans? It's finances for a lot of us. We're slaves to the fear of, am I going to have enough money? What is our fear? What's your fear, church? Is it your relationships? That's a lot of us. Is anybody going to love me enough to marry me? Some of you are so afraid of that question, or the answer to that question. Will my kids be okay? Will marriage ever get easier? I'm afraid that I'm not in the right place, or the community that I'm looking for is never going to be something that I actually attain. What are you afraid of? What anxieties gnaw at you? See, the fact that in this story that Jesus shows his power and divinity over the greatest darkness to the people at that time, it assures confidence in the disciple of Jesus Christ. Because if he would do that, and if he can do that, then surely, surely, he is God over what is keeping you up at night. Surely he is God over what anxieties are swirling in your mind. So let's hear him say that. It is I, I am. Don't be afraid. Let's take comfort in his greatness, assurance in his love, peace in his fatherly care for you. See, if you're anywhere near where I'm at church, then you really, really need this word. I really need it. 
I need to see in my heart, in my mind, Jesus casually walk through something terrifying, display his power, look straight at me in the face and say, hey, it is I, don't be afraid. I was telling the pastors earlier this week, you know, we're in this series on John, and sometimes we lay it all out. And then sometimes we just say, hey, let's do this, and you choose the passage. And this series in John is one of those. It's preacher's choice. Just stay in John. And I was telling them, you know, you know, usually we all have this process of choosing a passage. And of course, of course, always it involves like where our hearts are at, where the Spirit leads us. But another big portion of it is what you all need. So as shepherds, we need to think about all of you, right? We're like, what is best for Cornerstone this coming Sunday? But I was telling the staff on, on, on Tuesday, I got nothing in me. I'm going to go the selfish route. What passage do I need the most that I need to study Monday through Sunday morning? Like, I took the selfish route because I didn't think I could authentically preach a different one. Because I'm scared. I'm anxious. I could share a long list with all of you, but here's just two ones that maybe you are too. I'm anxious about the variance and shutting us down again. But way more than being stuck at home, I can deal with that. What I'm most afraid of is getting more news about my loved ones and your loved ones getting sick. I'm anxious about that. I'm anxious about getting emails from, or texts or calls from some of you and about your loved ones being sick. I'm also anxious about the state of the church because the reality is that we're here and, and we're, you know, I don't know, what is there 80 of us or something in here? When we rewind, for those of you who've been around since BFIT, some of you don't even know what BFIT is. It's our previous building. Some of the people that we saw every single Sunday that we shook hands with, gave a hug, served at BFIT, they're not going to come back. I'm anxious about their spiritual lives. We're not going to see them at Kendall. I'm anxious. I'm scared. And there's more. <laughs> there's more things that I am scared of. And so when I sit and I'm just spinning and these fears are swirling in my head, it really does feel like everything 2,000 years ago is exactly the same today. When the Israelites saw their fear, the sea, what it represented to them was chaos. And I feel like that's what's happening in here. I, it's, it's chaotic. And what dominates my headspace is the noise of the wind and the howling of it and, and the crashing waves. And it's disorienting, right? It's disorienting to us. And so what my soul has clung to so desperately this week because of this passage and what I've needed this entire time and I'm going to hold on to with dear life is Jesus casually walking through all of that stuff. And to see and to hear my great shepherd tell me, don't be afraid. I try to move my mind to picture Every news outlet in all the world talking about the world burning with variant Delta, Gamma, Beta, fraternity name. <laughs> I took Greek in seminary. I should be able to list the whole alphabet. 
and him to just say, don't be scared. For the church, every statistic of these annoying news articles from nonstop church survey, Christianity Today, all these Gen Z are leaving the church. Panic. And for Jesus to just be like, don't be afraid of that. I'm God, you remember? What is it for you? What do you need to see Jesus just take a stroll through it like he walked on the water and just look you straight in the face and say, don't be scared? And that's the word that I would like to leave with all of you today. Don't be afraid, sister and brother. He's with us. He's the great I am. We can give up our fears and anxieties to him and live the abundant life that he has for us. Let's live in confidence because of who he is and who you are in him. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come up and set up. And while they do that, I want to actually lead us through a time of just a quick, quick meditative prayer exercise. So if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes or you can stare up at the ceiling. You can stare at your sneakers. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. But let's just take whatever posture is is needed or that is more comfortable for you. And I know this isn't, uh, you know, I don't know if counselors would be happy with this, but I want us to go ahead and think about all the things that make you anxious. Maybe it's one of mine. Maybe it's the church thing. Maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe it's the, maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's one of the other things that I listed, whether your future, your children, your money, your loans that are stacking up, your future job, relationships, maybe broken family relationships, romantic relationships, whatever. Maybe it has nothing to do with any of those things. And those things are small to you. You have something much more difficult that you're wrestling with. Let's actually picture those things. Picture them as the disciples saw the sea. And however your imagination works, however the Holy Spirit leads you personally as an individual, uniquely and beautifully created as you are, let's picture Jesus just walking on it. Let's picture his face, what he's wearing, maybe the tone or the timbre of his voice, and just receive his word. Ego me. I am. I'm God. It's me. Don't be afraid. And if physical or tactile cues are helpful for you, let's just open up your palms and just let it go. Just let it go and just give it to him. Say, Jesus, I I don't want to be afraid. I want to be so confident in you. Let's just spend a minute doing that.
Jesus, you are Lord of all, as we sang earlier. We have nothing to fear because of who you are. I'm blessed this morning that for those of us who are in Christ, we are a new creation. And what we can definitively, proudly, boastfully say is, I am a daughter or I am a son of the Most High God. And so we have nothing to fear. Would you take these things that we have to give you? Would you open up our spiritual hands and our hearts? Would you loosen our grips on the things that make us anxious? And Lord, would you just lavish these hearts of yours with confidence and assurance and peace? We have nothing to fear because you are God. Be with each and every child who's in this room or at home. Lord, strengthen us and give us exactly what we need for each day. And we pray that we cling tightly to your word and we're grateful for it and for how you feed our souls. We have no fear because we are in you. And with joy and thanksgiving, we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.